Good morning. Good to see you today, and thank you for coming. And uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to also have it on the screens uh, for you. But uh, we're going to be look, continuing our, our days looking at the book of uh, Ephesians. Again, why? Well, for a lot of reasons. One is that Ephesians was probably the healthiest church, uh, the church at Ephesus in the New Testament. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people draw great teaching from uh, what Paul said to them because uh, what they did worked especially well. And they had a great pastor, you know, John, the beloved apostle, was there for 40 years. They had a famous woman in their church named Mary, the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> and they had a great ministry in a city that was a very pagan city uh, with one of the eight wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana that was in Ephesus. Uh, the goddess that they worshipped there, who they believed was the mother of all other gods. And uh, so we're going to talk about uh, that today as we continue in chapter 4. And we ended chapter 3 with uh, the idea that uh, he, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. Or as we said last week, beyond, beyond, the text says. Beyond, beyond, uh, off, off the charts, what you could ever think or imagine, that's what God is able to do. And he picks up now in verse 1 with, of the next chapter, and he says, Therefore, because of that, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, he's uh, writing this from a jail cell in Corinth in Greece, beg you, implore you uh, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, and always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Father, as we come into this text today, we do pray that the God who is able to do more than we could ask, more than we could imagine, will not just help those people in the church who are suffering right now, but will also help us, Lord, in our, our walk as, as Christians especially as was mentioned, as we're looking for a, a permanent pastor to come, that you would bring the right person who can really have a significant ministry here for a long time. It's such an important decision, Lord. We pray that you will guide the team and lead the person here that you have already selected. God, it's your church. You said, I will build my church, and you can just do whatever you want with it. We give you permission, but we ask you, to do beyond, beyond what we could imagine in bringing the right person here. In Jesus' name we ask it. Ask your blessing on your word now as we study it in the name of our dear Lord Jesus. And together we said, amen. Um, it says, uh, he, the first part there that's in yellow is, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. The word worthy is an interesting word. Uh, the word uh, worthy, axios, actually means uh, to kind of uh, even up the scale. Now, you can picture like the, the old pictures we have of, of uh, a scale of justice, which is often by a courthouse, where they have the old scale where you had like uh, the part, the beam that goes across, and then there were two things that hold in on one side and the other side, and you would put a weight or something on one side, and then you would try to even it up on the other side. And so what he says at the end of, of chapter 3 is God has done so much. God has taken the weight and gone like this. God has done so much for us. 
And he says, so here's what I want you to do now. I want you to kind of even up the beam a little bit. And, and the word for that, axios, literally means uh, bringing the other beam uh, of the scales, you know, up to even. So he's saying, I beg you to lead a life that will show kind of even things out because God has done so much for you to even that out uh, and to live a life worthy of your calling, the fact that God called you to be one of his people. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Key words, humble, gentle, patient, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Um, I've been married for 49 years, and again, my wife and I uh, are very strong-willed people. <laughs> uh, we went through 11 years of marriage counseling over our 50 years together. And a lot of that was just because uh, we both have a very firm idea of how it's supposed to work and what you're supposed to be doing. And so when I read that part about making allowances for each other, one of the, one of the most uh, difficult decisions in life is being able to accept what exists. Uh, being able to realize that the person you married may or may not be the person you thought you married but you accept the person that is in your life and you realize that, that uh, they're not perfect and neither are you. You both have your fallibility. You both have your human nature. You both have your sin uh, wrestling inside of you. You both have the old nature still. And as a result of that, you have to do that in marriage and you have to bring that into your church life too. Uh, just to just to check on this to make sure would all uh, everyone in the church who's perfect would you just stand up right now just if if you're perfect stand up right now would you now I know some of you were thinking about it but no you know no we are a bunch of fallible human beings we have uh, different opinions uh, we may vote differently. We may think differently about COVID. We may think differently about masks and politicians and life and, and taxes and everything else in life. But you know what? Uh, God has brought us together. You are not here by accident. You are here by divine providence that God has brought you together to be a church. Why? To affect this community for Jesus because there are people all around you who are dying every day in our world, 70,000 every minute, who don't know Jesus Christ, many of whom have never heard of Jesus Christ, and you have an impact opportunity in this community to represent Jesus well. And this is what Paul says, here's how you do it. You even the scales. And how do you even the scales with the God who has done so much for you? You do it by the way you act. You do it by your behavior, not by your theology, not by your thoughts, but you do it by your, by your, uh, your humility, by your gentleness, by your patience, by making allowance for each other's faults because of the fact that you love each other. By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen to Philippians 2. Compare it. 
make me truly happy by being agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving each other, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. What Paul says in, in so many of the churches he writes to is, this is the way God expects us to act as his people. He's done so much for us. And here's what he asks in return, that we show humility and gentleness and kindness and grace and love to each other. I'll tell you, this has been a devastating day in America. Uh, you know, we've had the great resignation in churches. Uh, George Barna came out uh, with a new survey this week, and his survey said that uh, uh, out of every four pastors in America right now, one is saying that they will be retiring by the uh, age of, uh, by the year 2030. 25% of the pastors in America are leaving in the next couple of years. Uh, one of the reasons it's taken your search team a good long time to find somebody is there just are not that many people out there who are just wanting to give their lives as pastors. It's a real struggle in the church right now. So uh, especially important that you pray and that you support because, again, uh, as we said last week, he'll do more than we could ask or imagine if we'll just do that together. But it isn't going to happen if you don't do that. Verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Notice how he keeps saying, you have to work at this. You have to work at this. I think sometimes we're surprised in church when we run into an issue. I remember as a boy, I grew up in a small church. It actually met in a house. Uh, they had gutted the whole main level. It was a brand new church. Pastor was just out of seminary. And uh, when we started going there, there were 40 people in the church. And... Um, it was a real great time for me until I got to the first church business meeting. And they had quarterly business meetings and all these people, we would go out for lunch together on Sunday. We had so many great times together. And then we came to the church business meeting and, and I had to go home and I asked my, my mom, I said, Mom, what was Mr. Peterson so mad about? And why was it that Mr. Engwall uh, when he responded, he seemed so testy and upset by what, and what was it they were arguing about? And, you know, it was like what color they were going to paint a room or some stupid thing. And, you know, the Bible says it doesn't just happen that you get along. I think this is one of our great problems, uh, our expectations. Somehow we think that the church, everybody is just going to get along fine. There's never going to be a difference of opinion. It's not true. It doesn't work that way. It only works if we work to keep yourselves, as it says, united in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. You'll, you'll kind of see almost a, as he goes on now, he gets into almost like a Trinitarian thing. He gets into here talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, you know, one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope. The next verse, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, talking more about Jesus Christ now, our Lord. 
And then he closes verse 6 with the other third member of the Trinity, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all. But in each case, as he talks about every member of the triunity of God, he talks about the importance of that, that the oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We are all worshiping the same Jesus. You see him differently than I do. You do. Uh, we have to. We, we come from different, uh, different cities. We come from different towns. I grew up in Chicago. Uh, you grew up somewhere else. I, uh, some of you went to Christian school. I went to public school. Some of you went to different universities than I went to. Uh, some of you have had different experiences in your life. You have or have not had children. You've had struggles. You've had marital, you know, maybe some of you are divorced. Some are remarried. Yeah, we, we all are so different. The only way this works is because of the Holy Spirit. The only way this works is because of God bringing us together. But the reason I'm asking the question today, what kind of church do you want to be? Because I can guarantee you, when you get a candidate in here who wants to be your next pastor, that's the question he's going to ask you. Well, what kind of a church are you asking me to come and be the pastor of? Are you going to ask me to come and be a, a church where a lot of people got mad during COVID and left? Or are you going to ask me to come in and be part of a group of people today who are here, who love each other, who care about each other, who pray for each other with tears? I love the tears, Shay, because I know it hits you, some of these people, with cancer and the struggles right now. And, and because of that, we, our hearts go out for each other. That's the kind of church I'd want to be the pastor of. How about you? And, but it's got to be seen. It's got to be evident. I like what John Stodd said. The more we share Paul's perspective, the deeper will be our discontent with the ecclesiastical status quo. Some of us are too conservative, too complacent, too ready to acquiesce in the present situation, resist change. Others are too radical, wanting to dispense with the church altogether. Instead, we need to grasp more clearly the kind of new society God wants his church to be. Then... We shall uh, not be content either with things as they are or with partial solutions, but rather we'll pray and work for the church's total renewal. What kind of a church do you want to be? I'm 72 years old. I'm still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. I sense at times that I, it'd be easy for me to become a curmudgeon and just complain about life. Sit back and watch, watch Fox News and just hear how bad everything is in the world. Sometimes I think uh, I had to go watch my grandson play t-ball this week. And I'm trying to be a good grandfather and go watch my my uh, grandson, seven-year-old, uh, play t-ball. Uh, I'll tell you, it is so, it is so boring for me. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I want to be there to watch him and to cheer him on and let him know that somebody cares. It takes time. I've known some people as they've grown old who have become so beautiful 
so sweet, so gentle. Frankly, most of them are women, but I think it's because the men are dead. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they have this kind of almost glow about them. Oh, I want to be beautiful as I get old, don't you? I don't want to become a curmudgeon. I want to become a critic. I want to become a warm, loving person. The Bible says, verse 7 here, however, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Hey, uh, it's not even your special day today. It's not your, anybody have a birthday today? Say me. Yeah? Happy birthday. Come on up here right now. Matter of fact, here. Here you go. Happy birthday. So. Yeah, thanks. Oh, great. Happy birthday. Uh, anybody else? <laughs> no. I left the wallet in the car, but I got a few bucks left. No? Um, you're, you each have a gift anyway. Each have a gift. God gave you something. Uh, each one of you has at least one. I'm not fully sure if I understand. I, I don't know if it sometimes evolves and changes through your life or some people have more than one. I think there are Holy Spirit gifts that aren't even listed. Every list in the New Testament is different. But I think there's, I've, I've met people who have, in my opinion, a missionary gift. I've met people who I think have a gift for prayer. I have a woman in my church uh, who, when I needed somebody to pray for me, I called up Kathy and I asked Kathy, I don't know why, but when I ask you to pray for me, things happen. What, what? And she said, you know, a lot of times, I don't know, I just give myself totally to prayer. I actually, I actually I get up sometimes in the morning, I take all my clothes off, I just go lay on my bed, I put my arms out, and I just go before God, and I just pray. And I just give myself to pray until I'm done. I don't know, you know, there's... Ways to have a significant ministry in this church. Thank God for the women who are watching the kids today in the nursery. I mean, do you, do you know what a blessing that is? Uh, I've had little kids. Uh, my my daughter-in-law wasn't real big on church, married to my son, but she found out she could get two two hours of free childcare. Then she started liking church. You know. I mean, what a great gift it is to have people, and they actually, some of them actually enjoy that, and they love that, and they're fulfilled by that. I had a week off one week, and I decided I'm going to go help in the nursery, and I was in there rocking babies, and you know what? Some of those kids were crying for an hour. I'll tell you, I was, I was having bad memories by the end of the t and yet some people are used by God. It was a Caldwell who said, there are two great moments in a person's life, the moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. Verse 8, that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, this quotation from Psalm 68, 18, if you want to make a note, 68, 18. This is what the, why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, this is the ascension of Christ, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So Paul goes on, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our world. In other words, he could not have ascended from it if he hadn't descended to it. 
And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, for the church, it says he gives special gifts. Verse 11, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Most people think pastor, teacher is like one hyphenated word now. These four groups of people, apostles, prophets. In my mind, apostles gave us the New Testament, prophets, Old Testament, evangelists, some people. Again, I was named after Billy Graham. My dad, my dad and my uncle with Billy Graham were the men who helped start Youth for Christ years ago. And um, Billy Graham just has a gift. Some of you heard him when he was here in Seattle. You know, how, how do you explain? I, it, Ken was telling me today, it was in the Kingdom, right? You said, Ken? And he got to sing in the 5,000 voice choir there and stuff. Some of you remember that there's something that Billy Graham gets up and gives that invitation. He gives a, a, a fairly clear, not even a very long message. And all of a sudden he says, just come forward and people are going to wait for you. And just people would just come flooding down to accept Christ. Uh, and then they found out, you know what, they can put that on TV and people will respond even on television to it. You know, there are some people that have a Holy Spirit gift for evangelism, and then there are others who have a gift to be a pastor teacher. And um, so when you're asking for your search team, just remember that you're asking God to give you a gift. You're saying, God, we, we you know, God, there's a lot of losers out there, frankly. You know, we want to get a really good pastor in here. We need the right person. And uh, we're not always sure even what the right person looks like, but you are, so will you bring somebody to us? It says the responsibility of these groups is to equip God's people to do his work. Now, again, in Ephesians 2.20, Paul had said, uh, together we are God's house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I don't think there are apostles and prophets anymore. I think that's the foundation. It says with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Once you lay the cornerstone, you don't mess with the foundation. You're a builder, Eric. Am I telling these people the truth? When the cornerstone is laid, you don't mess with the foundation? Okay. You know, I mean, that's the way it goes. You, you build it, and it says, but their responsibility as they build up the walls is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The, um, the work unites us to grow. Uh, and the, the work, by the way, it says their, their responsibility is to do his work, and the work is diakonon, deacon, to serve. Their responsibility is to equip people so that they can serve the church. Now, the word equip is a word I want to look at a little bit. Notice this word. I'm going to zero in on katartizo is the Greek. And I think we get the wrong idea with this word sometimes. I think we think this is kind of like getting ready to go on a trip or getting ready to go camping, that, you know, they, they, you get the equipment, you get the stuff that you need for what you're doing. But actually, if you look at how the word is used in the Bible, in Matthew 4, it starts, it says, uh, Jesus, uh, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, katartidzoing their nets, mending broken nets. 1 Corinthians 1 Brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop arguing among yourself. Let there be real harmony. Oh, I wish we were back in the early church. 
Quit fighting, he says. You know, that's, that's the early church. Let there be real harmony so that there won't be divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thoughts and spirit. When he says, let there be real harmony, katartizo. Let there be healing. Let there be mending the nets. Let there be, it was used in classical Greek for a, a doctor who would mend broken bones. Uh, here again, 2 Corinthians 13. Brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Rejoice, grow to maturity, katartizo. Uh, it's verse Galatians uh, uh, 6. Brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help them, help that person back. Katartizo. Mending brokenness, bringing healing, bringing help. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, making God to let us uh, see you again to fill the gaps. Katartizo. It's, it's uh, helping to fill in the gaps to bring not just healing and health and maturity, but to help even in the areas that are lacking. Uh, verse 12, their responsibility, again, is to do all of that for God's people so that they can do his work. It does not say the job of a good pastor is to do the work. It says his job is to equip the people to do the work. You see the difference? Like uh, if, you, if you were hiring a care pastor for the church, would you hire a care pastor who would go and visit everybody who was sick or everybody who had a special need at homebound? Or would you hire somebody to put together a group of people from the church who could go to the hospital, could go to the homebound? What do you think would be a better strategy for the church? And I think it would be to get the people involved in it, to do it as himself, but also to train others to do it. Uh, I like what Rick Warren says. David, uh, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson uh, was uh, codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair, all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several uh, failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had his poor health. Timothy was timid. Uh, There's quite a variety of misfits, but God used each of them in his service, and he will use you too if you stop making excuses. I like that. I like that. Quit making excuses. Back to 13, verse 13 now. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, knowledge of God's Son. Notice how he keeps talking about unity and growth, unity and growth, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Unity plus knowledge equals maturity. I'm going to say it again. Look at the text. Unity, line three, knowledge, verse four, equals uh, verse line five, maturity. Unity plus knowledge equals maturity. Then we will no longer be immature. Here's the definition of immature. Like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. He gives two characteristics of immaturity. One is 
every time, oh, there's this great new idea. Oh, you got to listen to this new Bible teacher. Oh, you got to listen to this new person. Oh, I read this new book, and it just changed my whole view. There's, there's just so much stuff that comes. You know, in the world today, we have more information than has ever been given in the world. I mean, I, I have... Uh, I have just I can go into my Logos uh, application on my phone and I have access to over 5,000 books on my phone, theological books. I have my Kindle in here. I have all kinds of... I, we have access to so much information and one of the things that's a great threat a lot of times is being so overly influenced by that that we get into trouble. Uh, and then he says, next he says, we will not be influenced... Uh, when people try to trick us with lies so clever, they sound like the truth. There are liars out there. There are liars out there. I could tell you all kinds of horror stories about things I've seen and experienced in my life of people who misled churches to get mostly to get money out of them. Uh, calculated to lead people away. Uh, it's interesting. It says the cunning of people uh, and the cleverness of people means, uh, literally means, uh, cunning means cheating at dice. And uh, clever means a stop at nothing to deceive people. Instead of that, verse 40, uh, uh, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love. Here's maturity. Speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Now, what's easier for you, truth or love? It's one or the other. Some of you just love the truth. Boy, you'll tell everybody in the world the truth. And some of you are like, uh, uh, and by the way, in my life of marriage counseling, not just myself, but other people over my lifetime, I've, I found that so often it's in the marriage, one or, you can almost tell which one is which. Because some people are truth tellers, rule keepers, and others like to maybe push it once in a while and you know, uh, so a lot of times somebody is uh, like a, has a gift of prophecy. Things are right or wrong. Mary was wrong. She should never have done what she did. And then married, you know, to a wife who's one of Mary's best friends. And she's got the gift of mercy. Oh, come on now. You need to be a little kinder. Mary's had a real rough time. There's things that have happened you don't understand. You know, we have differences. Here's the thing. God's spirit gives us gift, which causes tension at times. I didn't realize that when I was a young Christian. But a lot of times the tension we feel is actually a result of the gifts God has given to us. Because somebody with the gift of mercy and somebody with the gift of prophecy are going to be like this. And we have to learn to work together and find unity together in the church. John Calvin, if we want to be considered members of Christ, let no one be anything alone, but let us all, uh, whatever we are for, the benefit of each other. 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Martin Luther, the church and the ministry of the word were instituted for this purpose, that hands may be joined together and one may help another. We're going to stop there today. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we apply this to our life as a church, that we would truly reflect the likeness of Christ in how we treat each other and how we deal with each other. And may we represent you well, Lord Jesus, for we ask it in your name.
Amen.